Back here on the crew. Cody Cimino, Mike Nichols, Chris Sikonis. Uh, we're going to talk more NFL uh, before we get to our interview with Aaron Brightman. Talk a little more Rutgers football coming up around 7.30. Um, but, you know, it's first week NFL. I'm really excited about it. This is the first time I've been on the crew since, you know, week one and wrapped up. I want to talk a little bit more about it. Obviously, I want to talk some about my Cowboys. But I want to let you know, I mean, we, we talk about high draft picks. There's one guy I was actually impressed with um, after week one, and it's Joe Burrow. I know they lost the game. I know he didn't put up crazy numbers. Um, but he's playing for Cincinnati Bengals, a very, very bad team. And uh, he, almost, he almost won that game, and he should have won that game. And the thing I was really impressed with him was his drive late in the game to put his team in a chance to uh, put to put his team in the position to win, um, and that's something that I think outshines the entire stats of the of the full game completely. For such a young guy, for a rookie in his first game ever to do one of the hardest things it is to do in the NFL, which is to lead a game-winning drive, it's really impressive. It's really impressive, um, and I think Joe Burrow showed up in Week One and his that strong showing again. He didn't have the the best week. It wasn't like he put up 450 yards, three touchdowns. No, it wasn't anything like that. It was his, his you know, his grit, his ability to go back out into the field and have a chance to lead his team um, to make it a lot more competitive at the end of the game. And in my opinion, he against a much better team than the Bengals. Chargers aren't that bad. They really aren't. And the Bengals really are pretty bad. But Joe Burrow went out there and, and put his team in the position to have a chance to win that game. And the rest of his team let him, or I guess I could say the kicker, the kicker let him down. You know, obviously, it's, it's hard to make a field goal. I couldn't do it. Um, you can't expect these guys to be perfect every single time. But you know, in my book, if I'm a Bengals fan, I'd be really, really happy with what I saw from Joe, Joe Burrow to keep his team in that game and to put them in the chance to win it. You know, I, I'd like to – I don't know what your guys' thoughts is on Joe Burrow. I don't know if you, if you thought he deserved to be number one in the draft. I'm, I'm guessing you probably did, considering it was the Bengals drafting anyway, so you know they're going to take a quarterback. Um, but were you guys impressed with what you saw from Burrow? I I definitely was. He showed that grit. He showed that swagger that we that we saw at LSU. It wasn't pretty, but he got it done, and that that's you know kind of an ode to Joe Burrow, and that's how his his entire collegiate career went. It wasn't pretty at the beginning. He had to sit at Ohio State, and then when he came to LSU. He got it done, and I think he's going to be a solid NFL quarterback. Uh, the Bengals aren't a great team, but they did enough to win that game. Joe Burrow kept them in that game. They should have won. I don't really, I, I don't like the offensive pass interference on AJ Green at the end. Um, and like you said, the kicker should have made the kick. So I do like Joe Burrow. I'm excited to see what he can do. And uh, yeah, you know the Bengals really haven't had a quarterback since. Uh, maybe Boomer Esiason. Uh, Andy Dalton really wasn't any good. So, I mean, he was solid, but he, he was, uh, yeah, who's he called? Mar- Marvin Marvin Lewis? Right? He had a terrible yep. coach. And that's what you and I were just talking about, Troy. If you're a pair with a terrible coach, your career is probably not going to be very good. Um, yeah, I'm excited for Joe Burrow, and I can't wait to see more of him. And. You know, I'll be, I'll be honest, the thing I look for most in, in rookie quarterbacks isn't the stats, it's not the yards, it's not the touchdowns, it's if they get wins, you know, if they get a win under their belt. A lot of the times these teams that draft a quarterback so early, 
um, are playing a fourth place rec- uh, fourth place schedule, so they're not playing the best teams out of each division. Um, but Joe Burrow did just that. He kept his team in a position to win that NFL, that football game, win his first game ever. Uh, I probably, I'm guessing, if they make that field goal, they had the momentum in their position. I think they would have went on to win that game. That's all, you know, ifs and buts. You know, you can't really say for sure, but. Joe Burrow, I think, showed that. He showed the ability he could win a game. He could lead the most important drive of the game and lead his team in that way. Um, and I think it's always just so interesting to see how, you know, the, the Heisman, the best player from college football the year before, you know, transitions over to the NFL and to see how they struggle because they haven't struggled in a while. They, have, they never probably struggled in high school in football. Um, they obviously didn't struggle too much in college. Obviously, Joe Burrow had to transfer to LSU, so there's a bit of a different story there for him. But... I mean, he had a crazy year last year with LSU. And now you see him coming to the NFL, play with a bad team, a team, you know, he's been playing with good teams his entire college career pretty much. Um, Plays with a bad team now in the NFL. And you just see the difference between the levels. You see how different it is to have to play in the NFL compared to college. And it's just so, so crazy to watch in front of you because you see this guy, um, this titan, this superman of, of, college football last year and how he struggles just like everyone else when they first come into the league. He's won 23 for 36, 193 yards, no touchdowns. He did have an interception. Um, He had nothing like that in his stat lines last year at LSU. But I was really impressed. I mean, regardless of the stats, you know, Joe Burrow did a good job in his first game out there. Um, And like I said, he really had a chance to win that game. They They were winning for most of the game, actually, except for the fourth quarter. His team let him down a little bit. The defense gave up 10 points. Um, and let the Bengals go down. But he put his team that entire game in a position to win, and that's the most impressive thing. I mean, we, we don't have to talk more about the Bengals because I, I know there's very few Bengals fans out there. We'll get to something a little more exciting. We'll get to America's team, a team most people care about. Even if you hate them, you do care about the Cowboys because you want to see them. No one cares about the Cowboys. <laughs> Oh, you care. You might not like him, Mike. You care, though. No, Tell I disagree. Me you don't want to see yeah, I disagree. I highly disagree with that. Tell me you don't want to see them lose every single week. No, I really don't care about the Cowboys. I actually think they're a good team. I, I like a lot of their players, so I, you know, I, I kind of hope they have a, a solid season. I, I don't care to see them lose or win. It's not like, it's not like I have them marked on my calendar. You're a very nice Jets fan, then. I'm not used to talking to people like you because I, the last few years, last couple of years, the Jets fans I've talked to in, in the station, um, who will go unnamed at this point, um, they've been very critical of the Cowboys, and and they 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 take joy in my devastation that I fit, uh, that I deal with on a weekly basis for my team. So Mike, you are different from the rest. I'm sure Chris, you know what, you know what I think it is, Troy. I think there is a, a false stigma about some Cowboys fans. I wouldn't say it's false because some, some Cowboys fans are like, Oh, it's America's team. This is that and the third. And some Jets fans don't like it. And we get annoyed at it. But, you know, when I sit I sit and look at it, it's football. I enjoy watching football. There's no reason for me to bash on this other team. Um, the only team I really can't stand is the, you know, the Patriots. That's it. Um, but other than that, you know, I don't root for any team to lose unless, you know, I'm betting against them. Except for the Eagles. If it's the Philadelphia Eagles, we all root for them to lose. I can say that from my side, at least. I'm sure... Chris agrees with me on that one. Listen, Troy, um, um, I, I have no problem with the Cowboys either. In fact, I think that this is a Cowboy team that, you know, if everyone can stay healthy, I think they have 
the potential to turn some heads in the NFC and really surprise people. I think Mike McCarthy, great hire. I, I think that he's a guy who's really going to take them to the next level. Yeah, I think they got the pieces. I think Mike McCarthy actually. It's interesting because while I was watching this game, I can run it back real quick for you guys. Um, there was a couple big takeaways from the Cowboys-Rams game in the first week. Um, if you're if you're a Cowboys fan, there were some angry moments you had. But something I find interesting is a lot of people were really angry at Mike McCarthy because he went for it on fourth and three, and the Cowboys were on like the 15-yard line going in uh, for the score on the Rams. And he went for it on fourth and three. People were angry. Why didn't you kick the field goal? Why didn't you take the points? And it's kind of funny because I was one of those people, right? But I, I can see he's coming from. We've been complaining for a decade that we are angry that our coach is not aggressive and does not make the right calls and never goes for it. And you know what? We kind of got a, a bit of our own medicine on that one because this is the one time he should have kicked the field goal, and I'll stand by that. Should have taken the points, should have tied it up late in the game. Um, but I'm not really angry at Mike McCarthy because it shows that he's going to be willing to take those risks late in the game. And guess what? It's going to pan out eventually. Um, it's tough on his first time doing it. it. It doesn't work out, and we lose a game possibly because of it. Um, but I think you're right, Chris. I think he it was a good hire. Um, there's a lot of people skeptical of Mike McCarthy. Is it, was it was it Aaron Rodgers? Was it Mike McCarthy? Was it a combination? Obviously, it wasn't just Mike McCarthy. But did he have anything to do with the Packers' success when he was there with them? I think he did. I don't think being a good quarterback, being a great quarterback alone, is enough to win you a Super Bowl. I think you have to have a competent coach at least to help you get there along the way. Um, and I think with with the pieces that the Cowboys have before injuries, I should say. I think Mike McCarthy was a good enough coach to help them get to that final step. Um, obviously, there was a lot of bad injuries to the Cowboys this week um, from the first game alone. I mean, our, our best piece on the defensive side, possibly, or up there, if you take Demarcus Lawrence out of the equation, um, Leighton Vanderesk, he's out for a while now. Um, now you look on the offensive side, Blake Jarwin, our starting tight end, he's out for a while as well. Um, I think he's out for the entire season, and... Uh, and like I said, Van Der Esk, he broke his collarbone, so he's out for a long period of time as well. If, if he'll even return, we'll see. Um, broken collarbone injuries have scared me in the past just because of how it destroyed Tony Romo's career at the end of it there. So it's always uh, in the back of my mind knowing how bad that can be and how, how long I can take a guy out of the game. Although but, I'm, I'm kind of glad Leighton Van Der Esk does have neck issues. That's why he wears the neck stabilizer but, uh, yeah. on the top of his shoulder pads and at the time I I was a little worried that it was a neck injury so I am happy that it's not a neck injury and it, it's only a collarbone so it shouldn't be uh, a long lasting unless it's something that you know would happen to a Cowboys fan like Tony Romo but other than that um, yeah I, I was happy it wasn't his neck I, I don't know what it is I don't know why linebackers for the, for the Dallas Cowboys just cannot stay healthy when we finally have good pieces in there I mean Sean Lee was the starting middle linebacker for the Cowboys for how long? And it was like, the guy has the talent. He's got everything there. He just could not stay on the field. And then a couple years ago, we get Leighton Vanderesk, and it's like, all right, this guy's got the talent. He's got everything we need to, to, to be really good on the defensive side of the ball and with our linebacker position. And now he's had injury problems in his, in his early career. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about that position for the Dallas Cowboys that we get these strong pieces that just cannot stay on the field. And it's really, really frustrating because it's just so unlucky. I mean, a broken collarbone is a really just unlucky injury. Like, it's not like the guy is overworked and he, he tears his ACL or, you know, something like that. It's it's a broken collarbone. It's from a collision. Like, it's just unlucky. 
all those injuries are unlucky, but that one specifically, that's just taking a really hard hit to the wrong spot. Uh, it's just really, really frustrating, and now the Cowboys are plagued with, with really bad injuries to start the season. As a Cowboys fan, I'm nervous now. Um, you know, we have a, they have the chance to play the Falcons this week. I just got news that, you know, the Cowboys are going to be one of the stadiums this week to actually have fans there. 25% capacity just came out. So that'll be interesting to see. It's been really weird seeing an empty stadium. It's been, I think, even weirder seeing a stadium with only 25% of the fans. Um, I, I wonder if that's going to shift, if more and more teams will do that slowly along in the season. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. The, the, the Jets and the Giants, they have no fans, right? They, they, have, they have no fans, and I... As a season ticket holder, I am a little angry because some other fans can go to games. But I'm more angry because isn't that a little bit unfair that some teams can have fans at their home games and others can't? Well, I don't, I don't know because are they allowed to use fake fan noise when they have fans in the stadium? I don't think they can. So I think it's really actually less... That's a good question. But I think the generator fan noise, I don't think that gives you the same intensity and the same motivation that real fan noise does. I don't think it's ever going to completely match that. That's true. That's true. But does it it match it to 25%? Because it's not going to be really loud at that game, at the Cowboys game with 25% of the people there. Especially in in Jerry's world, being such just a massive stadium, I think the noise is just going to kind of get lost. I Um, mean... The, the the Chiefs had what twenty two percent capacity I believe it was and yeah. we were watching on Thursday night football it was it was pretty loud now nowhere near the sixty thousand packed stadium that Arrowhead could be and that's you know the loudest stadium as opposed to maybe up in Seattle with the twelfth man but it was it was pretty damn loud that's that's a fair point though you know that's a that's a really fair point. It could be an advantage, and I mean, any team that has fans in the stadium, I mean, they better not be allowed to also have fake fan noise. That seems ridiculous at that point. But no, it's a good point to bring up, and I haven't even really thought about that. Um, I'm wondering how that pans out. I, I haven't heard anyone complain about it yet. You know, I'm, I'm surprised. I feel like if it was really that strong of an advantage, teams would have been like, hey, we really shouldn't be allowing anyone to have fans because it, it, it gives a, a strong advantage to a team, and I, I haven't heard that from anyone of you. I mean, not from the NFL, but, I mean, j- just thinking of it, it seems a little unfair. Now, listen, I don't think that they're ever going to speak about it in the NFL because if fans are coming to games, that's more money that that's more money, you know, being made for the NFL and the team, so they're never going to argue about it. It's true. It's true. It's a money-making machine, and um, they're, they're happy to have the fans back, even if it is only 25%. That's 25% of the money back, you know. I, I'm wondering how that works as well. I have no idea. I have not read up on it because there's only a few teams doing it. Um, I don't really have any idea on who is allowed in. Is it? Do they offer it to the, some of the season ticket holders? I'm guessing it has to be, right? Season ticket holders have to get, you know, presidents over, anyone else, over everything, everyone else. Um, I have no idea how that works, and I have no idea how you get lucky enough to be chosen to, to come in. But I have to imagine it's a really different experience, and it has to be so strange to be there with no one around you. It's like going to a Rutgers game. It's just completely open. Or going to a Rutgers game of recency, where it's just like empty stands around you. and It just must feel really weird at an NFL game. Here's my surpri- take on yeah. how they could sort of make the atmosphere fair for everybody. 
just have it be like where, you know, and I know you guys aren't really soccer fans. MLS did, I think, a fantastic job of this. What they do is they don't have fans in the stands, but they make up for it by hiring someone, giving them a mixing board, like what we use to get our shows and our games on the air, and have them operate, you know, like when there's a goal, crowd noise goes nuts. When there's a penalty called, crowd noise starts booing. And just sort of jacking it up. And when you watch, if you go and watch a Red Bulls game, um, it, if you close your eyes, you wouldn't even know that there weren't any fans there. It sounds so lifelike, so realistic. The NFL and Major League Baseball kind of use white noise, it almost feels like, for their crowd noise. It doesn't really react to what's going on on the field. And I think that if the NFL and, you know, throw Rutgers football in here now that the Big Ten is back, just hire someone who knows how to run a board, have them be in charge of the crowd noise, I think you can get a real atmosphere that all teams would be happy with. They've, yeah, they've definitely, I think they've started doing that too because I've noticed when the person running the board is really bad at their job. Um, I was watching with my brother and my dad the Sunday night football game for the Cowboys and the Rams and the guy running the board stunk. It was the same volume the entire time. There are some teams that are doing what you're saying, Chris, and I've seen some teams adjust the volume um, when there's a big play coming up and they're on defense and their home team's on defense. Some people are doing it really well and some people are doing it really poorly. And you'd think that these teams would get that figured out because that's, a, that's something that's an advantage that these teams never usually have. They don't get to control the volume. But is there any, is, I don't even know, is there any rules saying when and what you can do with the volume levels? I, I don't know anything of that. I don't know if they release anything like that. I mean, I know when there's fans there, and I don't mean 25% capacity. I mean, when there's actual 60,000, 50,000 fans at a football game, you're not allowed to add the, you know, crowd noise above it. Because I know teams in the past have gotten fines for that. Um, just to bring it back to Chris's point about the MLS and, you know, the, the crowd noise, um, Chris, not everything has to be related to soccer. And not <laughs> okay, that was not the right point MLS I was trying to make there, Mike. <laughs> no, I know it wasn't the point you were trying to make, but you know, you, you do tend to make your comparisons very, <laughs> very, very biased towards soccer. Let's let's just be honest. That poor kid, man. You guys are <laughs> abusive. I don't even. <laughs> oh, oh my Chris, God. I mean, he's no, got a no, point. I, yeah, I mean, other teams, like I saw, uh, I believe it was the Tampa Bay and the New Orleans game, when the ref was going to make a call, their, their boos, like, pumped in crowd noise. So I do think it is pretty similar to how MLS is doing it. And, you know, Chris, you are right, though. The MLS has been among the leagues, NBA also, that are doing it right, properly, and they got, they got in – ahead of the game, you know, because they started, what, back in June, July versus when NFL is just starting now and they're trying to get it figured out. So MLS is definitely uh, one step ahead in that in that scenario. Well, Mike, if it was up to Chris, uh, you know, he's right. There's some things the MLS is doing right. Um, but if it was up to him, the NFL would be playing with a, a black and white ball that's round and they have to kick around with their feet into goals as well. He would just completely re- replace the entire game of football if he could with with what he thinks the real football is. So I mean, he's I mean he's I mean, a homer for soccer. Way, if Chris had his way, he'd turn football into football. Yeah, he would, and it's great because while we're talking, Chris Chris can't defend himself right now because he has to leave his mic off until until we're done. 
So uh, we'll give Chris a chance to defend himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here you go, Chris. I will not apologize for loving the beautiful game. I've been going a full court press to make Troy a Inter-Miami fan. I'm going to keep going on that. They signed Gonzalo Higuain, who I think is going to be a stud. Um, but listen, MLS has done some things right in building their league, and I think some of the more established leagues can you know, take some notes and try to improve their product too. You're telling me Miami got Iguain? That is correct. Who's that? Played for Juventus. Uh, they're pairing oh. him up with Blaise Matuidi, who also got signed from Europe. My... They're putting together a really nice team. Like is, is, Next year, they're going to be fun D- to watch. Is Dybala still on Juventus? Uh, to my knowledge, yes. Uh, interesting. It's the only name now, I know. Now, now, going to soccer, didn't Neymar leave Nike and go to Puma? Um, I'm not sure about that. I don't really follow the um, the sponsorships, but I do know Messi is very upset at being at Barcelona, and uh, he's trying to force his way out. But they they're holding him hostage with the contract; he'll be stuck there another year. Look, now, look, who, look what Chris who, has who done. Who's your favorite team in the Premier League? Manchester City, who are probably going to get messy after this. But Man, Man City, what do you think about now? As a Man City fan, what do you think about Man United? I kind of think it's weird that there's Man City and Man U. What do you think about that? I mean, is it really any different than the Jets and the Giants? Touche, Chris. Touche. Look, I, look what Chris has done. He's taken over this NFL conversation, and it's now a soccer con. I can't. I we gotta we gotta go to break. I can't be getting dragged into this co- this soccer conversation as we completely transform our NFL talk into MLS, and now we're even talking Premier League. I I I, I can't in the right mind allow this to happen. So we're gonna step aside. We're gonna go to break. Make sure to keep it locked to the crew on WRSU FM New Brunswick or online at WRSU.org. I've been moving calm, don't start no trouble with me. Trying to keep it peaceful is a struggle for me. Back here on the crew, Troy DiSavino, Mike Nichols, Chris Sikonis. We're excited. We're back here. We're getting ready. We have Aaron Brightman on the phone of On the Banks. We're really excited to talk to him all about what's going on with the Big Ten. Aaron, you there? Yes, thanks for having me on, guys. Awesome, Aaron. How you doing? Pretty good. Uh, it's quite a day. Uh, with the, the announcement for the Big Ten coming back. It's been speculated for a long time, and then we, we get the announcement for basketball later on uh, this afternoon. So it's been uh, it's been a much-needed good news day for college sports fans and obviously for Rutgers fans, too. I'm sure it's been a busy day for you, a lot of people asking your thoughts um, about whatever everything that's going on with the Big Ten for football. Um, you know, Aaron, I'd love to get your first impressions on exactly what has happened in the past 24 hours and what you think it means for the, the conference itself. Well, I think obviously, um, you know, the, the perception and the way things have kind of gone the last month, it was really important for the conference to, to you know, come up with some type of plan. I think, unfortunately, uh, the communication with everything going back to the August uh, 11th announcement really kind of set this down a, a, a tricky path that uh, led for a lot of open speculation. And, um, you know, if you think about it, if they had emphasized back on August 11th, you know, we're going to take a month. We're going to 
see what the situation is in a month and reassess the situation and see what medical advancements have been made, you know, and fast forward to today, it would seem a very kind of natural um, evolution to the process where, you know, they really pulled the trigger quick in August. Um, I mean, I honestly did think it was the right move. And, um, you know, I think what's going to be interesting about this season is, Yes, all these uh, medical procedures and protocols are in place, which is extremely important. But it doesn't mean that there's not going to be some issues in terms of teams having enough players and, uh, you know, potentially um, games getting postponed. So it's certainly going to be a disjointed season. And um, But I, I think the Big Ten coming together and, and, and having these medical advances making it possible was very important perception-wise to have a season when you see all the other conferences playing. I think it could have really hurt the brand long term. I, I guess from a Rutgers perspective, I mean, you've been covering uh, Rutgers sports with on the banks for a while. You've been a longtime Rutgers fan. Um, I guess, how do you rate uh, the way that Greg Schiano and uh, really the school as a whole has handled this entire saga going back to, you know, summer when, the team got brought back to campus and then, you know, the whole ups and downs with the Big Ten. How would you sort of grade how the team and Greg Shano have handled all that? Well, I think, you know, uh, the partnership with uh, our uh, WJ Barnabas, I think it has really shown its value um, in in the last few months. I I think that it was a a great idea and and very strategic on Rutgers' end um, when that deal became uh, to fruition and, and with the uh, athletic performance center, obviously, um, you know, I think it's just such a great uh, partnership for Rutgers to have and very smart and obviously in the best interest of, of their student athletes and something that I can really sell um, to recruits. Uh, and that being said, with the way this was handled, I think, you know, Rutgers put out a statement pretty early on and, and had, um, you know, the, the head medical uh, person from RWJ Barnabas, uh, you know, insert protocols and and i know back to you know may or june or um that they had things in place you know obviously with the outbreak that happened um you know it, it certainly uh set them back a little bit workout wise but i think you know the Rutgers handled it very responsibly i think quarantining the whole program you know they, they knew when enough was enough and they uh they, they got it taken care of so i think uh everyone uh thankfully seems to be fine and the way shiano has i i think in a way this could help the team mindset because they've been through, you know, some issues with it already. So I think that um, they probably have a better understanding. I think that they're, they've all pro- probably listening a little bit more in terms of uh, just being aware and, and how um, outside of the program they need to um, be careful. Uh, so I think that, um, you know, it, it could really help them going into the season now and having something to prepare for, you know, it's gotta be very difficult mentally to be practicing and preparing for an unknown season. You know, they didn't know if they were going to play in January or November and everything this program has been through from last year um, to, to now um, adapting to a new culture under Shiano. And then obviously dealing with COVID, it's, it's a lot. And I think um, now they're, they're going to have an opportunity to kind of um, focus on one thing and that's the season. And, and uh, it's, it's exciting to see what year one can be like for, for Shiano. And I guess building off of that, you know, Rutgers football went through some of the roughest stretches in its history under Chris Ash. Uh, haven't won a Big Ten game since 2017. I guess after all this, I do want to kind of shift back a little bit to the on-field um, side of things. Uh, I guess what do you think 
uh, the expectations, uh, what expectations should there be uh, for Rutgers? Is it being more competitive? Is it maybe ending the drought and winning a Big Ten game? I guess, where do you think the team should set their sights in year one? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the whole process of, of bringing Shiana back, you know, really uh, it energized the fan base in a way that, you know, I've, I've never seen. And um, it was it was uh, really fun to see, especially after, you know, the, the like you said, the, the last couple of years, three years, uh, it was pretty tough. And, um, you know, longtime Rutgers fans have, have been through a lot of droughts over the years. Uh, so, you know, certainly there's a lot of excitement there. But I think, yeah, patience is really going to be key. Um, you know, especially now with the season, we don't know what the schedule is going to be like, but there's no non-conference games. Um, there's going to be at least one less crossover game with the West. So you're talking about the big 10 East, which is arguably the the best division in college football. Um, that's a really tough, uh, hand to be dealt, um, for Shiano's first team. They had no spring practice. Um, they had, you know, a disjointed workout schedule in the off season, uh, I mean, they haven't even had one practice with a new staff. There's a new offensive system. So uh, there's obviously a lot of new faces on the roster as well. Um, so it's going to be obviously a challenge. Uh, but I think expectation-wise for fans, yeah, not everybody might like this, but I think you really have to throw wins and losses out the window this season. Um, it's about reestablishing Shiano's culture. Uh, I think, you know, it's fair to expect them to play hard, to play together. Um, defensively, I think you'll see them be a lot more aggressive um, and I think you'll see the game planning a lot better week to week um, in terms of their opponents. And, and, you know, being more competitive, you know, back in Shiana's first tenure, second season, they played Miami, who was number one in the country, and they had a lead on them in the fourth quarter. You know, that team only won one game the entire season. But when they play that game towards the end of that year, everybody kind of said, oh, wow, you know what, he's on to something. So I think that kind of moment will be important. Um you know, yes, of course, we hope they win one or two Big Ten games. I think the the idea that uh, it, it turn it sounds like the championship week uh, championship game for the Big Ten is going to be uh, coincided with um, a game with like the seventh place team in the East will play the seventh place team in the West. Uh, so that's going to be another opportunity for win too, and that could be a nice kind of cap to the end of his first year uh, if they could pull that off. Uh, assuming whatever place they finish, obviously. Um, and it is an interesting season. You know, every team is going through different challenges than they've ever had before. No one's had a full, uh, you know, off season. Um, obviously, teams are dealing with COVID outbreaks. You know, Maryland hasn't been practicing. Um, so it, it's certainly an odd year where weird things could happen. But I think, um, you know, anything more than two wins, I think, would be unrealistic. And even if they go winless, um, you know, I think it's, it's how you see them on the field, how they're competing especially against the better teams, you know, Rutgers had no success and have been completely uncompetitive in recent years. So um, if you see them give a blue blood, you know, a little bit of a, a tough battle, I think that would be encouraging. And I guess to shift gears to the other big news, kind of got lost in the fray of, you know, Big Ten restarting football. NCAA announced today that the 2020-2021 college basketball season will start on November 25th. Uh, right before Thanksgiving weekend, uh, that's been the selected start date. Uh, a lot of uncertainty with uh, how the non-conference uh, slate that Rutgers has put together, uh, how it'll shake out due to COVID. And there has been some rumors of conference only, some rumors of some sort of non-conference bubble. Obviously, all that is very preliminary, I guess. Um, in your view, as a college basketball fan, how do you see that aspect of things shaping out? 
Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was thinking about it today, actually. I mean, we're, we're in the middle of September, and we, we don't have a football or a basketball schedule released. <laughs> and, you know, for, for a lot of fans, I mean, it's fun at the end of the summer when all the schedules get released, and, you know, uh, that's when hope is alive. And the fact that we're in mid-September and we're just happy that they're playing um, is obviously certainly marks the times of, of how strange things are. But I think... Uh, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I think, for, from a Rutgers perspective, you know the situation again with it with an off season that was um, not normal, and uh, you know they haven't had a normal set of practice. Um, it certainly helps them being a veteran team, having seven you know seven of their top eight uh, contributors from last year back um, is is a really um, big factor. I think for them, the Big Ten's obviously loaded. Um, the non conference is going to be really interesting. I'm I, honestly not quite sure how it's going to work. Um, you know, the bubble concept obviously is, is I think, a good idea, but um, I'm not quite sure from a cost perspective and, and just practical, uh, practicality, um, locations, you know, uh, how they could replicate it so many times to have enough uh, non-conference games. I know that it was reported yesterday that Orlando is, is going to be a site, and it sounds like they're going to make the Jimmy V Classic uh, kind of the headliner event, uh, which Rutgers is slated to play Baylor in. So that could be exciting. Um, but you know, how are they going to, are they going to be able to play Seton Hall? I'm hoping they will be because it is a local game. Um, but it's really going to be interesting on how the smaller conferences handle testing and, um, you know, all their medical protocols for COVID. Um, you know, they don't have the resources that the Big Ten has. So, um, it's going to be interesting what the Big Ten decides if, if it's, if they find that it's worth it to be able to, to work with these um, smaller conferences. I mean, hopefully it is. I think from an NCAA tournament perspective, they, the NCAA really wants non-conference games. Um, I think it's just a matter of logistically, you know, is it safe and, and going to be practical to have, uh, you know, it certainly won't be a full slate like in the past, but hopefully they'll be able to have, uh, you know, each uh, school will be able to have several. Aaron Brightman of On the Banks over at SB Nation. Thank you for coming on WRSU crew to talk about all this. Really appreciate your time, man. Thanks for having me, guys, and uh, looking forward to the season for both teams, and uh, thanks for having me on again. All right, take care. All right, thank you. That was Aaron Brightman of On the Banks breaking down both Big Ten's decision to restart football, what we could potentially see out of the Scarlet Knights in year one of the second Shiano era. And also a little bit of college basketball talk because, hey, Rutgers is going to be pretty good at basketball this year. Uh, we're going to step aside. Other side of this break, we'll get into rapid fire, go through some of the other stories that we might have missed on the WRSU crew today. So don't want to go anywhere. This is the crew on 88.7 WRSU-FN, New Brunswick. From these lies back to yesterday. Save tonight I feel the sun creeping up like tick-tock I'm trying to keep you in my head But if not, we'll just keep running from tomorrow Back here on the crew, Troy DeSavino, Mike Nichols, Chris Aconis. Uh We've got, what, 15 minutes left? We still have plenty to talk about, a lot of stuff we missed. I'm going to throw it over to Chris. He's got rapid fire for us today. Chris, what do you got? I've got a couple interesting stories here. Um, I'm going to start 
with the NFL. Uh, as we know, former Jet Robbie Anderson now with the Carolina Panthers. Um, he apparently, um, I, I don't know how to put this delicately, he's on a team called the Panthers, and um, he was talking to DJ Moore on the sideline, and uh, he said to DJ Moore, he said, what's that bear doing? Meaning the Panther mascot, which was, you know, dancing and doing his thing on the sidelines. DJ Moore's like, what are you talking about? He's like, bear. And then um, DJ Moore's like, no, 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 that's a Panther. So apparently Robbie Anderson is having difficulty understanding that the mascot of the Carolina Panthers is, in fact, a Panther. A very low IQ topic to start on Rapid Fire, but still, your thoughts. Maybe he thought he was in Chicago for some reason. I don't know. I, I, I mean, the Jets don't have a mascot, right? No, the Jets do not have a mascot. They just have Fireman Ed, the guy that goes J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. That's all the well, Jets they, they didn't have him for a little bit, too, so maybe he's just not used to seeing mascots, so he was really thrown yeah, off. Dude, do, 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 do you ever hear of a mascot quitting? That's what Fireman Ed did. That's crazy. And then he came back. My my condolences to you and your team. I really for real. But like, I'm I'm gonna put it on that. He's not used to seeing mascots. Where did he play in college? I don't even know. I don't Temple. Know Robbie Anderson. Temple. Um, just yeah, Temple was, have uh, a mascot. Who's who's the coach of Carolina? Matt Rule, right? Um, yeah. I think yeah yeah it's Matt Rule because uh, um, Ron Rivera went to Washington. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, so, how he managed to get that so Robbie up. Robbie Anderson played under Matt Rule at Temple. Hmm. Well, it took him a while to figure out who the mascot was. So I'm guessing that entire time in training camp and everything like that, it just never came up. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it didn't even really look like a bear, in my opinion. It had whiskers. It looks like a, it looks like a, I mean, a panther to me. It did. It it didn't really look like a panther to me. Uh, Do you think he but, thought that there was a bear on the side of his helmet? No. You think he, he realized couldn't. that was a panther? He couldn't. I, he, he had to. He had to. <laughs> I don't know. You might have thought that was a bear on the side of his helmet for a while. I don't if know. He, if he, why would there be a bear mascot at a Panthers game? Well, listen. Why would they name the mascot Sir Purr? I like that name. I think it's clever. I don't. I like it. All right. Well, Sir you don't Pert. have a mascot, so you can't talk Sir about Pert. it. Sir Pert. Sir Pert is not a clever name. Dude, the Cowboys don't have a mascot either. No, we've got a guy. He's got a. He's, he dresses as a cowboy in a big hat. We, we've got a mascot. That's Jerry Jones, oh, Troy. No, no, no. Other guy. Yeah, but you're right. We got two mascots then. Cowboys do have a mascot. Let's look up his name. I don't know his name. Um, also, if you ever notice, like they're. Um, so our our co- our mascot's name is Rowdy. He's a big, he kind of looks like um, Rucker's mascot, but instead of a knight, he has a, ho- a cowboy hat. So that's kind of cool. Um, but I, I mean, I think he thought there was a bear on the side of his helmet, if we're being completely honest. I think that's the most sense. You, and I like the name Serper. I think it's good. The name Serper is idiotic. <laughs> I, I mean, think? it's funny. It's good. We're talking about it. All right. I'll give it that. But do you think that he played for the Bears? Do do I think that he thought he played for the Bears? Yes. I think so. I think that's the whole thing. I think he thought he was in Chicago. I think he thought he played for the Bears. And I think he thought Sir Purr was really a Bear. I think that's the most reasonable answer to to this question. And I think that's as simple as it goes. And I think someone finally informed him he was a Panther. 
Sir Perch oh, it's a, is an it's, awful name. It's a good name. I'll throw it up on the poll later. I think it's a good name. I like it. I mean, what else would you name him? Panther? Panther Pete? Yeah, Pete the Panther. P- Pete, Pete the, the Panther? Panther? It's not bad, I guess. I, I, serve, I give the person props, whoever came up with the name. Sir Perch clever, thinks outside the box. And it does not look like a bear. I think Rob, maybe get not having Robbie Anderson's not too bad of a thing. I, I want my wide receivers to know what team he's on. What else you got, Chris? <laughs> um, well, I mean, if you've seen Robbie Anderson's Twitter, that whole thing shouldn't come as too much of a surprise. Um, shifting gears to uh, college basketball, um, of course, you had that news that uh, Aaron Brightman touched on the interview. Um, uh, season now slated to start on November 25th, which is a Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Was initially supposed to start on November 10th. Uh, another big uh, set of news, not just in college basketball, but in college sports altogether. Um, the NCAA Division One Council on Wednesday approved the measure prohibiting D1 athletes from practicing and competing on the first Tuesday after November 1st, meaning, in other words, Election Day, to, in order to encourage student-athletes and coaches and everyone to vote and get involved in the political process. So activism and social change have been a big theme of 2020. So I guess I want to get your guys' thoughts on this move and what it means. Um, good step. It's a good step. Um, I think it's the right answer. I think it's a, a good start for what these organizations can be doing. Um, I think it's really, I don't know how to phrase this, but it's just like, the NCAA and the NFL are just so behind on these types of things. So it's it's good that they're finally starting to do the right thing. And it's good that players are being encouraged to go vote um, on voting day in America. So that's awesome. I can't even imagine. I never really thought about that problem because I'm sure these, these guys' schedules are packed with classes and with, uh, with practice. So I never really even thought about that. How do they get out to the polls? So it's good that they're doing that. It's a good first step. Yeah, I think, um, I guess... Any any good act or positive act raising awareness is good for is good for you know it's uh, I I pretty much don't have anything else to say like just like Troy said it's a good step you know it's it's not it's something they should have been doing uh, a little while ago but it's it's a step in the right direction and we can't fault them for it. All right, so moving on to our next topic. Um, This isn't necessarily a controversy or anything, um, but, you know, NBA playoffs. We got to talk about, first I want to talk about that Heat-Celtics game. Um, First, Jimmy Butler with a clutch shot, and I know Troy is going to be on cloud nine once I turn off my microphone. Um, Jimmy Butler with a clutch shot, and then Bam out of bio defying the laws of physics with his rejection at the other end. Troy, I'm going to kick it off with you. How much did you love that Miami Heat game last night? Well, it was a wild end, to be honest. I mean, I think that's the easiest way to put it. It was wild. And it was two back-to-back plays. I, I don't know which one's more impressive to me still. It, I, either um, Jimmy Butler hitting that shot somehow, some way, finding a way to get it to go in, or Bam completely just stopping the ball at the rim like that with one hand. I don't know which one's more impressive still. But I think it's just so funny because I was watching Jimmy Butler drive through the lane. I'm like, oh my God, he's not going to make this shot. There's no way. He's so contested. There's no way. And he somehow somehow hits it. And then on the other end of the floor, I think it was Tatum driving in on, on Bam. And it was like, oh God, it's a wide open lane. He's going to put it in. There's no one to stop him. And out of nowhere, Bam's hand just flies into the way and, and stuffs the ball right back at Jason Tatum. And it was just the complete opposite first impression I had of both of those plays that went the complete opposite way. 
Jimmy Butler just somehow hitting that shot while his back is on the floor. I don't know how it fell in. And then Bam coming out of nowhere with one hand stopping the full force of Jason Tatum like it's nothing. I don't know which one's more impressive to me, but either way, the Heat are by far the most impressive team to me so far in this in this playoff uh, race. And again, last night, they stayed on fire. Um, they stayed hot like the Heat should be. And they stayed tough when it really mattered. In the fourth quarter, Jimmy Butler kept playing. And like he's done this entire playoff series and like he's done this entire year, really. That's what he's so good at. And he did it again last night. And he even talked about it a little bit in his, in his post-game conference and uh, interview he did. He said Bam is, you know, he's the spirit of the team. He's the guy that you can count on to make those types of plays on the defensive side of the ball. And Everyone did their job last night. Again, I talked about it last week, but that's why the Heat are good. Um, Coach Spo knows what he's got, and he knows his players. If they do the job they're supposed to do, they'll get out of there with a win. And again, last night they did what they had to do, and they got a win against the Celtics. Yeah, yeah. and I guess I want to shift gears. we got about five minutes left. Did either of you guys catch that Nuggets-Clippers game uh, after Heat Celtics? Um, eh, no, I was, I was, I was an old man. <laughs> I know Mike did. He's a big Clippers fan, he said last week, right? No, I'm, sure you're I'm, not, torn I'm, up. I'm not a big, not a big Clippers fan. I just enjoy moving for the Clippers because they're like, you know, the, they're, like, they're like in Los Angeles, they're like second-class citizens, the Lakers, if we're putting it in like basketball standards. So that's why I enjoy rooting for the Clippers. Um, but the Clippers did what Clippers did. And, you know, they, uh, I, what, who's, who was the guy that called Paul George playoff P? Playoff P hasn't been found. And we're, we're not going to be able to see him until next year. And I was surprised why I played a bad game. Um, you know, people are giving a lot of a lot of crap to Kawhi for playing a bad game in the game seven and yeah, you know what? He's definitely not up there with like the people that he thought he was, but he's still Well, I think playoff P was found. I just don't think playoff P might it's just it's not a good thing. It's it's like a negative effect on on oh, Paul he, George. It's definitely a negative effect. And like I was saying last week too that the Nuggets are a very good young team. And, you know, I think Jamal Murray is that guy. I said it last week, I'll say it again. Jamal Murray is, you know, I think he's going to be a top three point guard in the NBA in, like, a three-year thing. Yeah. He, he is, he's really that good. And if uh, him and Jokic just stay healthy and keep that core together, I think they're going to be a really good team. I mean, they come, they come back from a 3-1 deficit against the Clippers – um, who a lot of people thought were going to win the championship this year at the beginning of the season over the Lakers. I, you know, I, I think the Lakers are still better, but I don't know how the Lakers are going to stop a team with that kind of momentum. They come back and they knock Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers out of the playoffs. Clippers are a really, really deep team. It's, it's much more than just Kawhi and Paul George. It's a really good team off the bench as well. So the Lakers got a challenge. This is, this is really tough now. They have to beat a team that is just on fire. Their, their two best guys are on fire, both of them. It seems like they can't miss a shot. Um, that's going to be really tough for them to do. And then even when they get out of that, I mean, let's just assume the Heat stay this type of stay on this type of caliber. It is a wide-open playoff, I think, for any of these teams right now. All these teams are playing really, really well, except for, I mean, the Celtics even played well yesterday in a tough loss. In a really tough loss. They almost had it there until the last 15 seconds. 
And then, you know, Jimmy Butler does what Jimmy Butler does and get, hits that clutch shot at the end of the game. Um, I wish we could have seen more Jimmy Butler like this in the past decade, but he's been stuck with bad teams and bad coaches, and now we finally see what he's capable of. And it leads to, you know, this, this year's playoff race being wide open on the East and the West side. And now we have a really good Western Conference Finals matchup. You know, I'm sure a lot of people are disappointed it's not L.A. versus L.A., but to be honest, um, the Clippers don't deserve it. Denver was a better team in that in that in that series. Any team that, that loses a three one deficit uh, loses a three one lead, they don't deserve to make it any farther or win a championship. I'm sorry, that's not just a fluke. Like if you can't win a game one game out of out of three, yeah, I'm, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be going to the conference Western Conference Finals or the championship in general. So it's going to be a, a really exciting finals, a really exciting Western and Eastern Conference Finals. So, but crazy game seven last night. Very excited. Can't wait. I think that's all the time we have. I mean, Chris, did you have anything else you wanted to sneak in there? No, that pretty much covers it. All right, we'll wrap it up then. Again, this was the Wednesday, right? I have the right day, yeah. It's the Wednesday edition of the WRSU crew. Again, this is Troy D. Savino, joined alongside by Mike Nichols, Chris Taconis. We had a lot of really great interviews today. Um, we thank you for joining us, and make sure to stay tuned. Again, this is WRSU-FM New Brunswick. We're online at WRSU.org.